Hello. Hey, John. Sorry I was late. Well, it sounds like you were having some technical problems, Dan. You know, when this, I, I use a, I use like a digital mixer thing to record everything. And it, wait a it, minute, wait a minute, wait. You're saying it's digital? All digital. Oh yeah, pure, <laughs> pure digital. Oh, that accounts for the crystal clear sound. That's right. But yeah, uh, when and when it works, it works, and it works great. Mm-hmm. And then we lost power uh, earlier, and uh, so, you know something happened. Yeah. And power cycling it and reconnecting and all that stuff doesn't work. So, you know, it's like you got to download the new drivers and install mm. them, then reboot mm. the thing. And mm. <laughs> Yeah, you got you to gotta, uh, pre- press accept on all those changed. I was showing you some of, the, some of the screens on your, sent them to your phone. <laughs> That's it. The but it's back up and running now. Better than, better than ever. Good. You sound great. Yeah, you do too. I'm not used to, uh, you know, I'm I'm usually the tech neophyte or the tech, I'm the Luddite at, at the end of this program. You have a room full of servers and blinking no, lights, no. spinning two-inch tape machines, uh-huh, and yeah. you've got Whopper there going, wah, 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 just running scenarios. Right. That's, and right. That's what I do when I'm not recording. I'm just, I'm standing in front of Whopper and just saying, well, what would happen if... Yeah. What what about the uh, what about the Turkish Greek scenario? Right, the the Turks invade Greece and then pretty soon nuclear arm 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 again. I, I would like someone to figure out how much computing power Whopper actually had and find out how many uh, of them would you know mm-hmm. an iPhone could power. Yeah. yeah, how many how many would fit inside the head of a pin? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I bet it was 50 IBM PCs daisy chain, uh-huh. 64K each, maybe 128K each, and uh, I was running scenarios. I love that movie. We've talked about that a little, haven't we? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, Scared yes. the hell out of me as a kid. Well, sure. But you know, Matthew Broderick was in there. He was... what? what, what? Keeping us safe like always. <laughs> what? <laughs> Matthew Broderick, keeping us safe. <laughs> I love keeping our country safe. <laughs> I, uh, I, that was one of those movies that made me feel like I should be a hacker. Yeah. You know, because he was, he was a normal kid that was out. I mean, he, there was even, he even had a, a girlfriend, a hot girlfriend, but, um, you know, but he was also a hacker. He would leave his computer running scenarios. He would leave his home computer, which he surely built. Uh, running scenarios while he was at school and then he'd come home and it would have cracked the code. And he had, yeah, he had the type of modem that actually received it, the uh, phone headset into it. Oh, that's right. That's right. And it, which I never had one of those. And I remember looking at that in the movie and thinking, compute, first of all, computers can't talk over the phone, whatever. <laughs> uh, but then second of all, like, even if they did, you wouldn't, you wouldn't like put the phone into the, of course that was real. Yeah. And I want, I would love to have one of those up on top of my computer right now. I had a very early modem. I'm talking about 1984, yeah. 85, a very, very early modem. Like a 300 baud modem, maybe a 300 baud. <laughs> and, uh, I had no idea how to use it or any idea who to call. And I looked at it, and I understood the concept, right? That machine would allow this computer to talk over the phone, which at the time was the the top technology for long-distance communication that any of us could conceive of. 
over the phone to other computers and information could be exchanged, but I hadn't. Where was there another computer? I mean, I had a friend across the lake that had another computer. (laughs) And what what would be the point of connecting those two? Sure, I could just call him. Yeah. I wouldn't have to call his computer. And I and so I had I had the I had the modem. I'm not sure. I think my mom, you know, my mom worked in computers. So she when it was time to buy a home computer, she got the she bought the cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly she didn't she never touched it, right? It was a busman's holiday for her. She didn't have any it had no computing power in her estimation. Right. And so yeah, I was, she was, she was working with the big, like mainframe stuff, right? Oh yeah. She, yeah. Her, her computer had a whole building to itself. <laughs> and so as, as it should be. Yeah, that's right. A building that was, you know, cooled to 45 degrees and, uh, the people running it were wearing lab coats. Right. I remember she would take me into the computer room and you'd have to show your, your badge Probably half as many times as you have to show your badge to get into any Microsoft building in Seattle. Right. But at, at the time, it was very exciting. You signed in on a piece of paper. I got a little stick, a sticky badge. My mom showed her past. I, I don't. She never plugged it into anything. She just showed it to various security guards, and they would buzz the door. And then all of a sudden, we're in this like super cooled white room with, you know, mainframe computer all the way down the line and then another one on this side and the tape reels are yeah yeah were there uh, punch cards involved well so when i was a kid she would bring home just boxes of punch cards yeah for me to use as art project paper (laughs) and you know reams and reams of that um you know the the computer paper that was hole punched on the side yep Except not the kind, not the consumer stuff, but like the the, the kind of the had, the, yeah, uh, the green and the yes, yep mm-hmm. the green the green lines mm-hmm. across it that was that was super wide. And what was some of the other like computer detritus that she would bring home? We always had you know bins of of just that kind of paper paper trash because uh, computers needed to use a lot of paper to do their things paper and cardboard oh boy i remember i mean i remember those i remember my dad took me to the university and they had like i wanted to i was like obsessed with computers i'd never used one never done anything we went and they had punch cards sitting in this stack because they knew that i was coming i guess he knew someone in that division or something and they said, well, you know, you feed, you feed these punch cards in here and it's like a program that makes the computer do things. I'm like, what, well, what can it do? And they're like, we can print some things out. Mm-hmm. And for people who maybe are not of our uh, exceptional wisdom due to age. That's right, wisdom. Uh, they may not remember that before we had inkjet printers and laser printers, we had something called dot matrix printers. Oh, and before we, before we had dot matrix printers... We had daisy wheel printers <laughs> and daisy wheel printers were, you had a little wheel just like inside of a um, IBM typewriter type deal. Right. Selectric. Selectric uh, typewriter that, that the little, uh, it, it, the little head had all of the letters and symbols and everything that it could, it could type on this little. It was about the size of a golf ball. Yeah. Like a, like a golf ball and it would spin and rotate in just such a way and, and hit against a ribbon that would put the mark on the paper and print it out. It's pretty cool. 
and they print it out and it was printing. I mean, it took, of course I was probably, I don't know, five years old or something, but it felt like it took the whole afternoon to print whatever it was printing out. And I'm just sitting there. What is it? What is it? And it had used what we would call like an ASCII art version of Snoopy. Oh, it was great with with the little football helmet on and everything. (laughs) I remember that very one. (laughs) I wish I could find it. When somebody put that together, they sent it to every person that owned a computer. (laughs) Yeah. And it was hanging in the wall. You know, it took all day to draw. Yeah. Uh, It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Did you learn? Did you have a typing class? In high school? No, no. I, I was, uh, they had the, for the first time in my high school, they just had a computer class instead. And like, you can either take type because you know what? Learning to type and learning basic is equal. Yeah. This is, is the same thing. It's inter- an interchangeable skill. Uh, <laughs> apparently my high school thought so. Of course I took the computer class. I'm not taking the typing class. Who cares about that? I'll hunt and peck, but I'll know how to do basic. Well, but Dan, this is precisely what, and I've thought about this quite a bit. This is the line. This is the generational divide. Because when I was a freshman in high school, there was no computer class. There was a computer lab Mm -hmm. that you had to get checked out, I guess, by a librarian. (laughs) Yeah. uh, By an 80-year-old librarian. You had to prove to the librarian that you could sit in an Apple IIe Oh, yeah. And do something, you yeah. know. Uh, you had to prove to her that you were not going to spill a Coke on it. <laughs> but there was no instruction <laughs> whatsoever. It was, I think right. m- maybe you could take a class with the science teacher who was like reading out of the, uh, re- out of the manual. But typing was, was still, I mean, was still like a, a very popular class. And so for the first, I think, I think I only took it freshman year and I got an F in it, mm. but, um, yeah, you sat in a big room full of, uh, full of kids. Mm-hmm. There were probably 40 kids in my typing class. We all had IBM Selectrics yeah. and we had, um, what was the paper duplicate paper? Uh, uh, carbon, carbon, carbon copies. Yeah. And we had a book on the side. Uh, of us, you know, on a stand that said the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog, and um, you know she she shells she sells <laughs> seashells by the seashore, <laughs> right? And you would sit and you know, and the goal was to learn how to type, learn you know to type without looking at your fingers. You would sit and read the document and type, and fill up a page, typing along with the book, and then hand her the hand your teacher the thing and she would correct it and see how many mistakes you made and then you would go back back at it and i at one point i could type 60 words a minute um but i, mean, I that's never pretty quite, quick it's pretty quick but I, and i got a job i actually got a job later on uh working at a bank i got a job based on how fast i could type they actually gave us typing tests as part of the application process and I sat down and typed whatever they had, you know, the quick brown dog jumped over the lazy fox, um, you know, did their typing test. And they were like, well done, sir. And I said, <laughs> hired, you know, based yeah. on my typing skills, which had no, they, that even when I got that job at the bank, which was in the nineties, they had no requirement that I know how to do computers. And there was a computer as part of my job in the bank, but there, but 
like one of my primary instruments was still an IBM Selectric. And as somebody like you, who's just a few years younger than me, never touched a typewriter. No, no, I, I touched typewriters, lots of them. You touched typewriters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, we had one at home. I had one of my own. Oh, you had a typewriter. Yeah, my mom, who was an English teacher, always had an IBM Selectric at home. And I event, she didn't like me playing with it. Uh, so what if you, what if you broke it? Yeah. So she got me my own sort of manual ribbon typewriter and, uh, and, and I got to, to use that, but no, I've, I'm very familiar with typewriters. I was just super in anything that had to do with memorization. I was very intimidated by, because as, as a kid, I was the type of kid who I, if you told me something, I would, I would remember it. If I watched a movie, I would remember it. But if you said you need to memorize the, you know, the capital of, forget it. I'm not going to. Oh, wait, you never memorized the capitals of all the states? No, I just would fail those things. I would just fail the test. That was a big, big part of, what was it? Eighth grade? Geography class was like, yeah, eighth eighth grade sounds right. I would just fail. Memorize all the states and capitals. Yeah, I never, I never liked doing it. But like I could sit in the science class. And listen to them talk about geocentric orbits and be like, duh, who doesn't know that? Like, duh. Yeah. Like, that's stupid. Or like, sit in geometry and like, they would go over the theorems. I'd be like, first of all, all this is boring and obvious. Can I just solve the equation now? And Um, you have to show your work, Dan. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, like, I would humor them and show the work and I could sit down and write, uh, you know, like a, like a five page essay, first draft, no editing and get an A on it. But Mm -hmm. ask me to memorize, like, so like the whole, forget it. I couldn't do it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You never memorized your times tables. Never memorized those. And I, ne- and I never, uh, I never memorized the states. I never memorized any of that. Somehow I've gotten through life though. Mm-hmm. There are certain ones that I remembered. Yeah. The fives I was pretty good at. Well, sure. Those are the easy ones. Now, when I was in fourth grade, my mom made a giant we okay so we had a coffee table that was made out of cardboard tubes and a plastic sheet this was a this was a 70s like uh <laughs> college kid uh furniture thing yeah when my mom when my mom divorced my dad and moved into her own house she bought a set of furniture that was made out of uh cardboard tubes like you would poster tubes that were painted red and then a white plastic and, and then the the poster tubes had little like L like L or uh, a tr- you know triangular not triangular but like three prong little adapters uh-huh. that you'd stick in the end of the poster tube so you could put other poster tubes into b- both ends make a right angle right and we had end tables and a coffee table and something else made out of this with the, <laughs> with the plastic tabletop that kind of just sat on the top so if you kicked the table over the the tabletop would just fly off. And I don't think you could have put like a giant casserole on them. They were for coffee cups and you know, they were just, they were the, they were the placeholder tables and we had them actually a surprisingly long time before. I don't know. We finally went to Goodwill. What, what held these things together? Just, just their own, you know, the integrity of a cardboard tube <laughs> and the fact that the little, the little plastic end pieces actually fit pretty snugly in the tubes. So when it was all assembled, it had 
it had a structural integrity. And then if the plastic tabletops were the, they were the weak link in the chain um, because they were, it wasn't, pla- it was like um, nylon or something, you mm-hmm. know, it was a thick sort of white plastic. Anyway, by, by the time I was in, what was it, third grade, maybe fourth grade, my mom decided that I needed to memorize my times tables. And it was a long time before my classmates were doing it. It yeah. was just something that she came home one day and was like, you, you need to memorize your times tables. And I was like, we're not even using multiplication yet. And she said, you don't need to, you don't need to know multiplication to memorize your times tables. Uh, your times tables are something you just need to have in your brain. Yeah. And so it's just a question of memorization. And as we work on it, you will understand multiplication. Don't, it's not, it doesn't work the other way around. You memorize them and that's how you learn it. And I was like, oh, all right, you know, but the whatever mom. And so she took the plastic tabletop off of the thing. I think she had finally realized, or they, they, they had finally run their course <laughs> because they, you know, they, we were always kicking these tables. I mean, they were, <laughs> they were, you could kick one across the room, right? They were just made out of cardboard. Anyway, she took the tabletop, she turned it upside down, leaned it against the wall. And this thing was three feet tall. And she made a, she made a grid with a, with a ruler and a, and a marker. And she drew a time stable on it and it leaned up against the wall. And she and I would sit every night and we would, work on the times table until I had it memorized <coughs> and I still have it memorized and I used it, you know, by the time the rest of the kids got around to learning multiplication, I was, you know, Johnny on the spot with my, with my like times yeah. cloud that I, that I had access to. So I wish someone had done that with me. I had the unfortunate circumstance of living in Philadelphia at the age when kids are supposed to be learning their times tables and the school that I went to, it might've been the whole district. I don't know, but my mom actually was a teacher in this district at the time and all the teachers went on strike. Oh boy. And like, basically the school was shut down for many weeks uh, I don't remember how many weeks, but it was it was a long time. It didn't seem to affect me because I was like, oh, good, I don't have to go to school. This is great. But it so was, you and all your the fellow kids were just sitting out on the stoops, yeah, uh, sing doo wop for that yeah, whole time, pretty much. Yeah, you know, opening up fire hydrants and <laughs> and uh, and so uh, like it, but it was just like we didn't have school. I didn't care, but uh, everyone else was stressing out. Well, then they tried to com- once we finally got back into it, and again. I know it was many weeks. I don't know if it was months or not because, you know, all that's fuzzy when sure. you're a kid. Sure. But when they came back. Could have been, been four days. Could have been, yeah, it could have been one day. No, I mean, I know, it was, I know it was weeks of time. But when I came back, they, they had to compress everything that we had missed. And it, somehow or other, when it came to those certain things, I, like, I got left behind in that sense of like i never just learned that and the things that came easily for me uh frequently the things that were very hard for other people for example writing yeah um even when things in computer programming required memorization of method names and you know um and and calls to all of that was very very easy for me to remember because i had interest in it and i liked it but if you say 
you need to memorize these things just because you need to memorize them. And I couldn't, I couldn't connect with the value of that and didn't have a teacher or parent who could connect me to the value of that, that I, I would simply say, you know what, I'll, I'll figure out a way to get through it. I don't need to do it. I'm yeah, not you'll figure it out. I'll figure, you know what, I'll figure it out. And it's not, it, it's not going to be something that I'm, I'm like not proud of it, but like I'll squeak, I'll squeak through without ever bothering to do it. Yeah. And you know, when it, you know, people would be stressed and, oh my God, we got a paper. It's supposed to be seven pages. I'm like, like, well, what are you doing? Your research? You have any books checked out? I'm like, no, what do I need books for. Oh, you're a competent writer, as you say. Yeah, and, and, and so I'd go at the very last, you know, the, you know, if the thing was due Monday, Friday afternoon, I'd be like, all right, I guess I got to go. And I'd pick some books from the library to just to put in the, you know, in the, yeah. in the references page. And Sunday afternoon, I'd sit down and write the thing, hand it in. Yay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Forget, forget the ones that require memorization of something. If I wasn't interested in Columbus, you know no, what I mean? No, I, I'm not gonna, no, Dan, can you tell me the state that board, that is the that borders, the Southern border of Missouri? What what state is directly underneath Missouri? Uh is it Go ahead. Don't look. I'm not. Is I it know. it's not I feel like Tennessee's around that area, right? Yeah, but that's not to the south of Missouri. I mean, well wait a minute. Tennessee is to the south of Missouri, but it is not the southern border. All right. I give up. It's Arkansas. Arkansas. That yeah, I should know. <laughs> and that. a lot of people in America, a lot of people do not have a picture of where Arkansas is, right? You think Arkansas, it's kind of Southern sounding, yeah, right? There's a swamp, right? An Ozark. Yeah. So where does Arkansas fit? And people yeah. have a hard time locating Arkansas, but there it is. Arkansas. It's like, um, let's call it the spleen of America. Right. Well, it t- I know it touches Texas, but you know, I, I never think about Missouri. That the trick wasn't tell me what's near Arkansas. Because uh-huh. I could uh, do that. Yeah, you could probably get the, the states. The old, the old Miss. You got Oklahoma. You got. But you would have been right about Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee. Yeah. But like, no one thinks about Missouri. Like, who cares? Well, Missouri. We don't have Missouri. any list. We don't even have a single listener in Missouri. I don't think that's true. Missouri. I don't is think the, they have the internet there. Missouri is the belt buckle of America. <laughs> Missouri is right heart and center of the country. You know, St. Louis. Missouri. It's really not though, is it? I would think more like. Kansas or Colorado is a center. Well, okay. So unless you're talking like population density wise. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> like the, like the, the, um, because Nebraska and Kansas, those are plain states. Yeah. And when you think of them, you think you're already exploring the West. By, by the time <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Right? This you, is you a are, very pioneer kind of view of the country yeah, then. Sure, right? like, Kentucky's the center of America. And once you've hit Nebraska, you're out West. <laughs> no, although, although there are plenty of sites in Indiana, <laughs> plenty of sites in Indiana that, uh, where the, the historical importance of the site is, is premised on the fact that Indiana is the frontier. Right. <laughs> If you if you go around Indiana and you're just visiting like like parks and stuff, there are all these statues that are like, well, here we were fighting Tecumseh at the very edge of of of, of uh, Western civilization. Wow, Indiana! You guys really have a sense of your. I mean, the mid Midwest, right? They have, right. A, they have a different view, but Missouri, you know, St. Louis is where Lewis and Clark set out, like. 
Missouri was the was the edge of civilization, <laughs> and and I'm talking about St. Louis, right? By the time you get to Kansas City, Kansas City, you're already in the like cowboy territory, okay? <laughs> right? Whereas St. Louis has got like dandies and riverboats, like like card sharps. Uh, <laughs> Dancing girls, you know, like, like, so when I think of America, I think of St. Louis as being kind of the last, the last place before you, before you enter the West. We would like to say thanks very much to our sponsor today. It is Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone, even people like me, like us. They achieve this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. And that's because, like, not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients, they taste better, they are better for you, and it's more important than ever to know where your food comes from. I actually got the food from Blue Apron, and I actually tried it. And I was able to create something that actually looked like the picture on the instructions that they send you. The food that they send you, it, it, you look at it and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to make with this. And then you follow the instructions and it really does turn out the way that they say it's going to turn out. And it's delicious and it actually works like this really works. You don't have to try to go to the grocery store and figure out what you need and did you get the right kind of thing and did you get too much or too little. Everything is just exactly what you need to make the dish the way that they describe it, and it winds up being less than $10 per meal. You get seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients. You're making these meals yourself at home, and it's fun, and it's easy. They set the standards. They send you the stuff. Uh, all the best stuff, and you just basically put it together, and you look like a hero for your uh, for your significant other or just for yourself. It's really easy to do, and they have a special deal for our listeners. You go to Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash roadwork, and you will get your first three meals free with shipping. That's really a good deal, and I don't see how you could say no to that and not want to try it. You're going to love how good it feels to make your own food. The great ingredients, it's all there. Blueapron.com slash roadwork. Now you have visited all all states, right? All 50 states. I've been to all 50 states. And, and I've been to every me- every metropolitan area in those 50 states. And, and so you've actually done it the real way. You Just stopping in an airport doesn't count. You've visited the cities, you've eaten the food, you've spent a night in a hotel, yeah. met, met people. Yeah, arrived at one border and departed from another. Border. Yeah, Online. was that a goal of yours to okay. do? Uh, I don't think. Like when I was memorizing the fifty states and capitals in eighth grade, I don't think it was a goal so much as I just assumed absolutely I would go to all fifty states. Like I have, I, I there are a lot of uh, assumptions. I, I carry a lot of assumptions about like how life is going to play out. And I still have the assumption that I will, at one point or another, visit the vast majority of countries in the world. Mm. And I'm behind the eight ball right now. I'm there. Are, there are a lot of people who made a um, made a habit of like expansive world travel. Who did the? I have friends that have been to a lot more countries than I have because they did the. Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Thailand, uh, 
vacation trip where they were going to beaches and renting scooters and so forth. And they did India and they've been to Japan and China. And in the course of that, you know, my sister and my daughter's mother went around the world together and visited. And in some ways they went around the world on a tour of all the tropical beaches of the, of the Pacific, but still went around the world my sister had a boyfriend in Nepal and lived there for wow. a year. Met some guy in Nepal and was like, I love you. He said, I love you. I can't even do a Nepalese accent. And she was, <laughs> was, like, that, li- was that your... <laughs> I love you. And uh, she lived it. She was like, uh, you know, John, I'm living in Nepal now. And I said, of course you are. And she ran a, uh, or not ran, but like he owned a whitewater rapid guide company in Nepal. He's Nepalese. And, uh, she was like, that's what we do now. I'm a, I'm a whitewater guide in Nepal. And I said, sure, of course you are darling sister, you know, see you when I see you. (laughs) Uh, but so I haven't done any of that, but I assume I will. I mean, I'm only 47 years old. I assume that I will visit all those places and then I'll have a reason to, this was the problem. I, I needed a reason to right? I didn't want to visit I didn't want to visit Arkansas for the first time as part of some dumb quest to visit all 50 states. I needed a reason to be in Arkansas. And so then I had a reason to be in Arkansas. And then I felt like I had visited Arkansas uh, legitimately and with, you know, with a lot of, um, with panache. And, uh, and so the last few states I visited, the last few states I, I, uh, when I was ticking off, by the time I got to like 46 states, yeah, then I, I was thinking, come on, let's get this done. And then we booked a tour where we were playing shows in Mississippi, uh, Alabama, and Louisiana. Those were the last three. And we had, you know, it was a, it was a legit tour where we had shows in those states. Mm-hmm. And so drove in, stayed in a hotel, went to the went to the town hall, played the rock show, collected the accolades. That's pretty cool. Kissed a few babies. Yeah, right. High high fives, drank some of the local uh, spring water. In one one case, uh, the brakes in the van went out, and I had to stop. This was in Mississippi. I had to stop every five miles and and, – open the hood and throw a bunch of brake fluid into the brake reservoir and then jump back in the truck and drive as far as you could until the brake pedal stopped working again. That was very exciting. That's awesome. And so we had, uh, we had an extra day there in Mississippi while, uh, some like guys on the side of the road that I found were like, sure, we can fix your brakes. And they, they had to, you know, the brakes had completely blown out. They had to, to run new brake lines. And then I had 50 states and I, you know, and I threw a little handful of confetti up for myself. Woo! <laughs> that you really did? We no. <laughs> I could see you doing that having a little Ziploc bag of confetti just going out there and have a dove to release or something. But you know, nobody can take that away now. No. Nope. I just have now I have to now I have to get the uh, start start chipping away at the countries in Africa. Well, for, for, for those people who, who are feeling superior to me, uh, yeah. I have put um, two tests 
into our show notes. One of them is a, I'm sure you would ace both of these, but one is a test of uh, U.S. geography where you have to click on the state. And another one is a times table test, Uh uh, which is actually, it it has the times table grid. So you could, uh, you could just, you know, say, oh, you know, what's uh, seven times eight? And it's got, it'll let you just move it over the grid and it shows you with your mouse, it shows you the the answer is 56. And then there's a test built into that too. So I put these (coughs) into the show notes to test people's knowledge. They can join in. Uh, I am so glad that you did that, mm-hmm. and I hope that everybody has fun with these games. See, now I feel like I now I feel like I should, uh, I should do do this just to make a point of it. What to memorize your times tables? Yeah, get them really memorized. You know, hardcore. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a time when I when I felt like I really, 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 really was going to learn German because I had so many reasons to learn German. Well, you're really focused on your interests. Yeah, I really wanted to learn German. There was nothing stopping me from learning German, but I did not learn German because it turned out the thing that was stopping me from learning German was me. <laughs> and uh, and so still do not know German. I feel I feel bad about it. And making some coffee. Yeah, I'm making a little coffee. And here we are. Here we are uh, now 10 years after I should have started learning German or 15 years after I should have started learning German. Still don't know it. Well, I'm sure you feel, uh, as I do, that it would be rude to go to a country if you didn't speak their native tongue and, and only, only knew English. No, I don't feel that. I feel I like it would be insulting. If I, if I wanted to visit Spain and wasn't fluent in Spanish, I have no business being in Spain. Mm, that's what's kept that me entirely. that's kept what's kept me from spain i disagree with that one hundred thousand percent. yeah well for two reasons um one if you were swedish and you wanted to visit spain i feel like as, it's different if you're in the continent of europe i feel like it's different mm, i don't think so because if you were swedish and wanted to visit spain what you would probably learn or the language that you would probably use in Spain was English, Mm. right? A Swede is going to know English. And if they are in Spain, they're not going to try and speak Swedish to people. They're going to speak English because it is the essentially, if not the lingua franca, it's certainly a lingua franca. And if you are Japanese and visiting Sweden, you are probably going to try and speak English. You're going to use as much English as you have. Because that's the one, that's the most likely language. All right. Now in, in Hungary, in some of those like Eastern Central European, let's say yeah. Central European countries who all were forced to learn Russian in school, uh-huh. uh, after the wall fell, they all learned German and you can tell, you can tell someone from Central Europe or Eastern Europe, uh, what year they were born almost. Oh, based on which language they know? Yeah, by whether or not they speak Russian primarily as their second or their third or whatever their foreign language or whether they speak German. And German is a much more practical language for those people because the vast majority of tourists are from Germany. I didn't know that. That's interesting. The the Germans do that that thing where they, they they couldn't take over Central Europe 
militarily, or they were thwarted in that. And so now they just take it over touristically. But even in those countries, um, English is, is, is well known. So I used to kind of feel like you do, but then I realized that I already natively speak the language that everyone else is struggling to communicate in. And so you're doing everybody a favor, more or less, by just speaking English fluently rather than stumbling over a guidebook or like, buenos dias, uh, como se dice, you know, they're just like, yes, okay, I speak English, get on with your problem. You know, that, that, happens, that happens most of the places you go now. If the person speaks any English at all, that's just what they would prefer to do. So you're lucky. You're one of the you're one of the fortunate people that already speaks basically you speak Latin. Right. And you're traveling around the world and no one expects you to speak Laotian. They're going to if if either you have English together or maybe French, like some of those colonial countries, Morocco, mm-hmm. um Vietnam maybe still uh you're going to find that French is the, is the one, you know, it it used to be that everyone in the Russian, uh, aristocratic culture spoke fluent French. You could, you could speak French in Russia and be well understood. I don't think that's true anymore. I mean, that's sort of Russian revolution era stuff, but, and I spoke a little bit of French so I could get by in Arab countries. There are still lots of countries in Africa where French is, is right. like administrative language. But even there, English, people want to speak English. Also, I think just generally, like a lack of language is not an impediment to travel or even to get to know people fairly well. What you're saying is I, I'm, I can go to Europe after all. You can go to Europe. You can walk around and say, hello, I am Dan Benjamin, American from Texas. Uh-huh. And the people that don't want to talk to an American from Texas will just absent themselves. Mm-hmm. And there will always be a person who does. You know, there are always, somebody will always step forward and say, I like to talk to Texas people. Let me pr- either practice my English or I'm already fluent in English. See, that's how it was. That's how it was in South Korea. Mm-hmm. They uh, very much, there were two groups of people, the kind that very much wanted to speak English to an American. Like this yeah. was the thing they'd been waiting their whole life to do. Yeah. Uh, or they, if if you weren't going to speak Korean to them, that was some kind of disrespect that, yeah. you, you know, yeah. and, and there was no gray area in between those two. And, uh, and it was, it was really interesting. It was, that was a very eye opening trip for me. And I, this was at a time in the late nineties when I don't think there were, you know, they had the they had the one big base in uh, in Itaewon, but they didn't have uh, they didn't have very much like if if you were like an American or a, an English speaker, you weren't really in like Busan, you mm-hmm. know, like that. There was no one. I I mean, I spent weeks not seeing any other. Non Asian round yeah, eyes, yeah. Now non basically Korean people. There were Japanese people because they do a lot of business with Japan. So there were there would be like Japanese people who I would hear speaking, trying to speak English to the Korean people. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was the same problem I was having. Yeah, but 
All right, well, I can go to Europe, the, so that's good. You know, it, the thing is, if you walk into a place in Paris, let's say you walk into a place in you walk into a place in Paris and start speaking English, you're going to see a lot of people who a speak English and b do not want to talk to you, right? Uh, because it's France. Like the French are awful that way. I had a. I said, I said. Uh, to somebody in Paris one time, you know, I, I had, I got tired of saying, parlez-vous, parlez-vous anglais, parlez-vous anglais, uh, because you just feel like a dummy. You feel like a parrot. Uh, but I said to some guy, parlez-vous anglais? And he said in completely unaccented English, he said, uh, no, but I speak perfect French. <laughs> and I went, hmm, that's an... <laughs> Either that's a very weird thing to have practiced to say. If you don't speak any English, and you must have practiced uh, to say no, uh, like with with like utterly perfect elocution. No, but I speak perfect French. Like okay, asshole. Or you speak perfect English as you just demonstrated, and you're being an asshole. Like you're being a you're just flat out being an asshole mm-hmm. and. Either thing could have been true, right? The, the, the French uh, relationship to Americans and English and to British people, you know, is uh, – or I'm sorry, United Kingdom mm. – United Kingdomites. Uh, their relationship is so fraught that th- that guy could have done either thing. But there are plenty of places in Europe throughout Scandinavia and the low countries where people there will correct your grammar. They speak English so well. Like they speak English better than – better than you or I right? Um, because it's a point of personal pride and the languages actually aren't that different. They're, they're, you know, like sort of Germanic tongues. They understand English. And also in the Netherlands, at least they had their television programs were all English and American TV. So they grew up watching English speaking TV. I don't know. I've found, I've found the more comfortable you are just speaking Clearly in English, enunciating really well, speaking fairly slowly, using words that aren't overly complicated. Everybody appreciates it. They're just like, thank you. Thank you for, you know, for eliminating the problem, at least of us standing here going, what language are we going to, are we going to speak? But language again, like I say, language is, is, is secondary even to just being capable of making yourself understood. I, I was standing on the street in Istanbul one time, and I held out a map to a guy. He was a young guy, a student, you know, bearded, hip, student <laughs> character. I was near the university. I held out the map, and I was asking him, you know, where, where the center of town is. And center Centreville, you know, center right. is one of those words like taxi uh, or goulash or, you know, like there are, wor- there are words in the world that everyone knows. Like right. ta- everybody knows taxi and hotel. I don't care. You have to live way up in the mountains in China to have never heard the word taxi. It's just sort of a universal. And center is maybe not hundred percent, you know, but it's certainly anyone that has any contact with Latin language understands center. And 
Istanbul, not Constantinople, but <laughs> once was Constantinople for many, 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 many hundreds of years, which was the capital of the Holy Roman Empire, right? So they're not completely like Turks have heard Latin languages before. They're, it's not a mystery to them. And this was a university student. So he's not some country. He wasn't like herding sheep through town. He was on his way from one physics class to another. I hold up this map and I say, where's the center? And he says, I don't speak English. <laughs> and I said, okay, uh, where's the center? You know, like, I'm not even going to confuse you by saying where is. I'm just going to point at the map and in this tone of, in the universal tone of voice of center, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, like communicate that this is a question. He says again, I don't speak English. I'm like, okay, right. I'll go very slowly. Map, which is now I have, I'm just holding a map. I'm not saying anything. What do you think I'm doing? Do I, am I showing you the map? Do, am I trying to sell you the map? No, I'm holding up a map because I want you to look at the map and me to look at it and me to ask one question only center. Where is the center? Point your finger in the cardinal direction of the center. Now he's very frustrated. I don't speak English, he says. And I realized that, you know, I've been traveling now for months and months talking to people who have never even heard of English, but you can communicate with them just fine because people understand how many things are there for if you bump into somebody on a, on a country road and that person asks you a question, the question can be one of very few things. Do you have any food? Do you know where there's water? Am I going the right direction? Or do you want to fuck? <laughs> right? Those are the in only that, In that order. Yeah. Those are the only things you're going to ask somebody <laughs> on a country road. Right? You're not going to say, have you ever read Camus? You're not going to say, do you have a marriageable sister? You're going to say, am I in the right place? Am I headed the right place? Do you have any food or water? Do you want to fuck? And I wouldn't even have put the do you want to fuck on the end if I hadn't been asked that very question like a dozen times meeting people on a country road. Because in a lot of countries, that's a big opportunity. Walking along, here comes somebody else walking, walking along, see each other from a distance, you wave. Here you come. You're the only ones out here. You stop. You go, am I headed in the right direction? Do you know of any water? And the person goes, yeah, it's just right up there about 10 kilometers. Do you want to fuck? <laughs> you go, oh boy. No thanks. <laughs> but thanks for the direction. So anyway, I'm standing in the middle of a busy street. I'm talking to this young student and he is so, he's such an, he's, his life is based so much in his intellect that he is so anxious about not understanding English or so potentially so driven by a kind of Turkish chauvinism mm. that he's angry that I'm trying to speak English with him because he, this is his country and why am I trying to speak English or perhaps motivated by some other thing, but all the way up in his head and unwilling to understand Right? Like his brain is in the way of solving a very simple question, which is this guy is going to get out of my life if I just point my finger 
somewhere. Right. Even if I'm wrong. Right. Just point your finger into the sky. Point your <laughs> finger in a direction. This dingling is holding up a map. He wants something. Point your finger. He'll go away and he'll ask the next person four blocks later, which is how you find your way around a place. And it's why whenever I see two people standing looking at a map, when I'm walking around somewhere, I always stop. And it, it doesn't even require that I be from that town. If I'm walking around St. Louis, Missouri, and I see two people pouring over a map and doing that thing where one person's looking at the map and the other one is looking around as though there's going to be some like X marks the spot hovering <laughs> over what they're looking for. Hi. I think it's over here. No, it's over there. They're looking at a map. I walk over and say, hi, can I help you find something? And invariably, their question is, which way is the center? Or where's the Museum of Modern Art? Right. They never want to, they never say, do you want to fuck? Because they're the ones holding a map. That's not a universal <laughs> sign of, I want to fuck. Right. Or, or so we've been told. Right. In my experience. And so you walk over and you go, well, I've been in this town for like six hours, which means I'm probably six hours deeper into it than they are. And I know where the center is because I, I'm never in a town where I don't at least know where the center is. And I probably can find the Museum of Modern Art because it's the one building with columns. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the museum of – of, uh, that's the history museum or the Museum of Classic Art. The modern art building is the one uh, that looks like a Dale Chihuly bowl. That's also easy to find. So that's just like basic stuff, right? Are you still there, Dan? Yeah, I'm listening. You you you'd gotten into like Dan Quiet Land. I'm just I'm I'm visualizing this very very closely. But you can always be of help to somebody who's standing there with a map looking confused. And in Seattle, a lot of the time the person holding the map is Japanese. And their friend is Japanese. And they don't speak very much English. But they do understand more English than they can speak. And I think in general, a Japanese person who has come to visit America has probably done some amount of due diligence in mm -hmm. learning at least basic English. They probably took it in school. It's just that they know more English than they're comfortable speaking. And so you can, they can, so they can like, they'll smile and be like, oh my God, thank you for helping us. And then they'll ask a question and it may be, uh, it may be hard to know exactly what they're asking, but you can always give them some advice. Some kind of like, oh, you're looking for the, what? The train station? The waterfront? What could they be looking for on a map, you know? They're not looking at the map saying, can you recommend a good restaurant? Mm -hmm. That won't be on a map either. <clears throat> and I think that all of that, <clears throat> just being somebody who has spent a lot of time on the ground in foreign places, wondering if I'm going the right direction. Anybody that walks over to you when you're pouring over a map is a friend. It's never a case where somebody comes over and you're like, oh, my God, will you please leave me alone so I can stare at my map? Because even if they're wrong, even if they are interrupting you, even if you do want to just sit there and stare at your map, there's every chance that they're going to tell you something that you didn't know. They're going to offer some kind of – you know, point you in some direction you wouldn't have thought of. The only thing I the only thing I stipulate is never draw on somebody else's map with a pen. Oh no. If somebody points a pen at a map that I'm holding, I jerk it away from them like they're trying to stab my baby. It's like I don't want your mark no on way. my map. No way. 
Don't put an X where we are. Don't put an X where I'm going. Put no X's on my maps. I want my maps pristine. If somebody puts a, if if I'm in a hotel and uh, and I say, can you tell me where the Museum of Modern Art is? And they whip out their little hotel map and they make it a mark on it before that's, I can ask them not to. That's fine if it's their little hotel map. Well, they do that all the time, and I'll, I'll sit and patiently listen to their instructions and watch them draw lines and and circle things on this map. And when they get done, I go, thank you very much. May I have another map that hasn't been, had any marks on it, please? And half the time they're like, of course, here you go. And the other half the time they're kind of confused and like maybe hurt that you didn't like their impressionistic drawing. But it's like, I will, I'll actually take the map that you drew on and deposit it in a receptacle as soon as I leave the hotel. But I want a, ooh, I want a map that's just, just like ice. Wow. No, no weird folds. Just clean. Just give me the clean map. That may be a peculiarity. Do you uh, do you ever write on your own map? God no. Do you ever write in the uh, in a, in a book that you're reading? Write notes and things in the margins. No. No, because I read. Uh, in my experience, people who make or highlight notes, or underline. Or- no. If you're if you're highlighting or making notes in a book, you're treating that text as a. You're treating it as a text, right? You're using it as a tool and I don't read that way. So like if, if you're reading like a murder mystery and you think maybe you came across a clue, would you write in the margin, underline it and say a clue exclamation point or something, you know, like you could refer back to it later and say, was that a clue too? I cannot think of a scenario where I would ever write a clue. You know, I'm just, it's just an example. I've never done this. I've, I know a lot of people who write in margins and underline things and, you know, fold pages down and Hey, when they're holding the book, they sort of bend it backwards on top of itself when they're reading it. And well, now I will, you know, I'll, I I will physically bend it back like that. No, no, I won't break the spine, but I'll, I'll, I'll fold pages over and stuff. Why is that? All right. But you well, can't write not, in a book. It's not that I'm defacing. It's not that I worry about defacing a book. I do worry about defacing a map. But I don't. It's not that. I, it's not that books are something that I wouldn't. Um, you know, like I have a lot of books that I carry around in my back pocket, and by the time they're done, they're 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 trashed. But but no, I'm not looking. I'm not reading a text to uh, uncover. Or to 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 um, like derive the the essential data from it, you know. I I like bathe in texts, and if I miss it, if I miss the if I miss the clue, or if I miss the thesis, it's less important to me than that I be sort of in the author's mind mm. along the along the bumbling path, and and. You know, I know a lot of people, uh, my girlfriend included, who like like she was a law student, and so every text to her is is something to you know to uh, engage with or to to um, to pounce upon and 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 sort of like sluice all the meaning out of. And for me, it's it's I just have a very different relationship. I start at the beginning and I read until the end and I don't speed read. I, 
if there's if there's something that if if I arrive at a sentence that's like this is the thesis, I don't underline it and keep going. I sit and read the thesis fourteen times, and you know, sit and stew in it, and then move on once I feel like I understand it. And it means that I read books more slowly, and that I'm a pain in the ass, and it's why I'm not a law student. But I don't that whole business because they taught me that in college, just like everybody. Like underline the highlight this, and then get on down the road. It just feels like it's disrespectful to the person that sat in front of a typewriter and put all those extra additional unnecessary sentences in there. Now, if, I, if I, you, I even read all the descriptions in Moby Dick of the fucking sea. Are you supposed to skim pages, those or something? Or the Tolstoy, all the, you know, all the many, many, many pages just describing like the harvest or whatever. Yeah. I think, I think if you're, I think if you're a skimmer, you're like, see, see, blue sky, you know, like the wine, dark sea, the, it's like reading the Iliad. If you, if you, if you get to the 50th time that the words wine, dark sea have been employed, <laughs> you realize like, oh, this isn't a book. This is a song. And the wine, dark sea is one of the choruses. But oh, still, I like that. That's a new way to describe it. I'm going to sit and read it. I'm going to, I'm going to sit and read wine, dark sea. Or uh, what was the one from the Iliad? Unpinned, unpinned his knees, uh, which was a way of saying that you killed him, or like you 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 felled him, you felled him to the ground, you unpinned his knees. Like, huh? Yeah, I like that. I'm going to carry that around. I'm going to read that over and over, and then you realize it's already in the Iliad over and over. You don't have to. You don't have to stop. You can keep on. Keep on keeping on. You know, I had a recent experience um, that was a little bit, a, l- a little bit time traveling. Oh, really? Well, you were talking about how geometry felt very intuitive to you. Yeah, and that you didn't want to sit and have to monkey with the proof. Yeah, once I once I had it down. Yeah. You're like, just get me out of here. I want to just solve this. I can solve it on the on my fingertips. I don't want to have to use all these dumb proofs. I mean, I, I did get whole, to I did get to enjoy doing it, but it did feel a little repetitious at, by the end of the semester. Mm-hmm. And I had that problem with geometry, big time. So much so that the proofs and the insistence that I learn the proofs and make the proofs completely bounced me out of geometry i refuse to do it i love to do the work on my fingertips or you know sit and 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 stew on it and, and come up with the answer i couldn't stand the proofs repetitious and you know like sort of insulting somehow and i didn't get far enough into it to understand that i was just basically learning the times tables again so I didn't do my geometry and this was freshman year in high school and I had, I'd been accepted into the alternative program and the alternative program allowed you to. That's like what we had before, uh, before after new wave and before goth. <laughs> That's right. But this was, you know, this was this holdover from the seventies. Uh, in, in Anchorage, there were two kinds of, two directions that the public schools 
kind of were experimenting with. And one of them was the sort of open plan uh, elementary school where they took down all the walls and the third graders and the sixth graders were kind of mingling with each other. Oh. That was an early version or maybe a mid version of this co- co-educational, like if the sixth graders will help the third graders learn how to tie their shoelaces or learn how to be good citizens and all of the kids together is a more naturalistic way of learning and these walls and these desks man they're just like getting in the way of of learning and knowing and socializing so that was one direction that the schools were going in and then right about the time i was getting out of elementary school there was a new a new fashion which was called the abc school which were Again, public schools that really focused on the basics. You sat in a hard chair. You faced the blackboard. You learned your, your math and science. You, you know, it's basically like 1950s education. And both of these were running concurrently with regular schools that were just, you know, doing like whatever it was that normal schools did. And I, I, w- I knew that I both belonged in the o- open plan alternative school and I also knew that I wasn't going to be happy there. I wanted to be there because I belonged there, but I also knew that a total lack of discipline and guidance and just freewheeling freeness uh-huh. meant that I would do no work at all. And I was, I was fine with that, just like you in Philadelphia having your – having six months – during a teacher's strike where sure. you just sat on, sat on the steps and, and, uh, and pretended to be Frankie Valley. I, I knew if I went into an alternative school, it was going to be nothing but problems. And I did go into the alternative school and it was nothing but problems. It was, it was so much nothing but problems that at the end of the first year, the alternative school said, please do not, please do not tarry here any longer. Go into the normal school and fight your battles there. But my freshman year, I was in the alternative school and I was taking geometry, a thing which should not be alternativized, right? There's there, And I think the idea was, hey, there are a lot of students who like to work on their own, work at their own pace. If you want to go, if you want to go all the way through the geometry textbook in three months instead of, you know, the nine month school year, then by all means go. But in my case, what it meant was, I'm just going to run around the halls throwing uh, paper airplanes and building pipe bombs in my locker and not do the math. (laughs) And so it came to the spring and I'd gotten a D minus at the semester came to the spring and I was six months behind in my homework. Like I had done not a lick of work and I did get busted for having pipe bombs in my locker. The wow, principal found them. those. Well, I was building them and I uh, brought them to school because some kid asked me if I would sell him some. You know, I was known as the kid that was would would uh me and my friend Jim McNeil taught ourselves how to build pipe bombs and we would take them and we'd light them and throw them in a lake and and blow up a bunch of mud and fish or we would take them and find an abandoned car out in the woods and we stick a pipe bomb in it and blow it up and blow, you know, we were just 
we were absolutely a danger to ourselves and others. Yeah. At any point in time, we could have killed ourselves and multiple times should have. But we figured out, you know, we bought, because you in Anchorage at the time, you could go into any gun store and buy both black powder and cannon fuse. Because that's how people, I mean, they hunted with black powder, but they also, I guess, made bombs to kill fish or something. I don't know what. It was Alaska. But at, over time, we figured out, I think it was Jim McNeil that figured it out, that you could get a solar igniter that was used to launch a um, model rocket, like the little the little testes. Um, oh, little yeah. Solar igniter. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. The pole pulse battery and everything. Yeah, and you'd stick the little the little blasting cap yeah. up inside the rocket engine and tape it there and yep. then hook it up to well that also will ignite remotely electrically a pipe bomb. <laughs> so we would drill the you know the hole in the top of the and you, we'd go to the fucking hardware store and buy a bunch of eight inch lengths of of pipe with two caps per length. Like of course we were building pipe bombs. I think these days. If you go into a hardware store and you buy that kind of stuff, like a basket of that stuff, they'll flag you. Somebody will come over and they'll really? call the police. I think so. And you can't buy black powder stuff just at the Fred Meyer like you used to be able to. So with the solar igniters, right, we could we had a big reel of of wire and a and a big twelve volt battery and we would set these things off at great distance and and well, so no I guess long- that's safer. Yeah, yeah. Although we we were I mean, at any point a piece of shrapnel could have taken our head off but to compound the problem to add insult injury i was building these things and bringing them to school and i was going to sell them to kids and like give them a lot of precautions i was going to give them a whole tutorial listen do not hold in hand set on ground light and get away or whatever else don't kill anybody with this that would get us all in real trouble and somebody told the teachers and some and one of them came and said open your locker and i was like oh shit i'm busted and i was busted and they put me on emergency suspension Mm. at which was some kind of unusual clause in the handbook that was like a student that is an immediate threat to the school and to other safety yeah yeah he can be suspended on the spot with no return date implied right because there was a suspension was what six days or five days and then double suspension your second suspension was 10 days and then there was no third suspension if you were suspended the second time that was it if you got suspended a third time you were out of school you were expelled but emergency suspension had no timeline it was like you're suspended until you're determined to not be a threat to us and there was a requirement that there you go, see a counselor and so forth. Anyway, during that time, my mom sat me down in a hard chair and she said, you're suspended indefinitely. That does not mean that while I'm at work, you get to just sit around and, and doodle. You're going to do all of the geometry homework that you failed to do for the entire year. You're going to sit here all day long and do geometry homework until you have completed the entire class. And wow. she would come home from work unannounced and and pop in the door, and I needed to be seated at the table working on geometry. And at the end of the day, I had to show her all of the geometry homework that I'd done that day. 
It was a bad time. But months before, I'd been in my alternative geometry class, and the teacher also felt just as little obligation to sit around in the class at her desk being a teacher as, right. as we did students. She got up and wandered off to make another mug of herbal tea. <laughs> and I went and rummaged through her desk and found the geometry uh, grading book, the book with all the answers, the answer key. And for whatever reason, she had two copies of the answer key in her desk, one of them pristine, one of them full of her notes and dog-eared and okay. so on. And so I took the pristine one, just took it. I never used it because I wasn't doing any of my geometry homework. I just took it <laughs> as a, I just took it as like, ha ha. Yeah. I mean, um, took it in order to, I don't know, maybe sell it to another kid at some point. Like I wasn't, certainly wasn't trying to like get my homework in on time, but I had this thing. I had this book. And so I was made to sit at the table by my mom. This is the first time I've ever admitted this, I think. Really? And I pulled out my, that geometry book and I sat and deliberately and very artfully duplicated what a geometry homework assignment would look like. Oh, wow. Like I did all the graphs, not accurately. Not reflecting the actual work. Just, just, it, but it is like a, a forgery. A forgery that, that was inaccurate. Yeah. But I just drew the assignments. You know, I'd write my name at the top, the number of the assignment, and then I would draw them because I was doing 90 homework assignments. There was no way anybody was going to grade these. No chance. Right. This was already the end of April or something. There's no way I was going to hand in 90 to a hundred homework assignments and have anybody do anything but look at them right? and be like, yep. And I made them look exactly, oh you know, God. I did, I did little, John, I can't believe this. I did little, I did all the little notations. <laughs> it's like, Oh no, I didn't get that right. Let me erase and do it again. Oh my God. Why? Why? This sounds harder than just doing them a thousand times harder. <laughs> I made them look amazing. And then at the end, oh my God. so I would conclude the answer. I would, you know, I would, if, if she wasn't going to go down and grade them, she's only going to look at the answer and the answer was correct. And I made sure that every assignment had one or two mistakes answer. You know, I didn't want to get straight A's, but it sounds like they were all mistakes though. Well, the, they were the, phony. I mean, they were all wrong. The show your work stuff, which was the whole point of geometry, the proofs and all the show but your the work. But the actual result. answer. The answer was correct. Correct, except you, the ones you intentionally. Made wrong. Made wrong. Yeah. So you were going for like a B? I was going for a B. Okay. Because that was the only thing that was, only thing that was plausible. I couldn't have, I would, you know, it would be impossible for me to get straight A under <laughs> those conditions. And I just didn't want to, you know, a B plus, totally plausible. I mean, I've gotten an F in this class at this semester. Totally plausible that I would get a B plus. 
if I was for if if I was following all these rules. And my mom would come home. She would come home during the day, but I could tell the sound of her car engine, even if she parked around the corner. Would she do that just to? Yeah. Catch you. She'd pop in the door, what are you doing? And I'd be sitting there at the table with homework stacked up like, I'm just, oh my God, I'm just working so hard at this homework. (laughs) All right. And meanwhile, the school made me go to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist had to determine that I wasn't a threat to the other students. You know, they wanted to see like, was I building these pipe bumps because I was going to like kill a bunch of people in the lunchroom. I'm glad they did that. That's scary. Yeah. And I explained to them, like, no, I am not I am not a dangerous person. I am just a dumbass. I'm just a pyromaniac. Now, nowadays, yeah. I surely would have been expelled and probably in prison. Yeah. At a as a 15-year-old or a 14-year-old. But at the time it was like, okay, he was just being a you know, boys will be boys. And after a couple of weeks, 10 days, something like that. They said, all right, you can come back to the school, but you have to, you know, do, you have to meet the following requirements. But when I arrived back at the school, I had 90 B plus geometry homeworks all in this giant stack. And I was right that she did correct them, but it was just going down making sure the answers were right. And she did these, I I felt terrible because she did these, when I got something wrong, she would write in red pen, like, you know, nice try or something. Uh So I got all of these homework assignments back as one giant stack too. And, and all the accolades, the teacher was so impressed. My mom was so impressed. Everybody was so proud of me. And I felt, terrible good I'm, I'm glad to hear you weren't high-fiving yourself in the <laughs> no 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 the burden of all of the all of this praise which i hadn't earned yeah because i wasn't getting praise from the guild of thieves now if i if there had been a guild of thieves and members of that guild had swooped into my house and said you are dastardly well played I would have like accepted that accolade. Yeah, yeah. But I knew no Guild of Thieves and I couldn't admit this crime to anyone. So I took all of the homework. Does your mom know now? No. Here's the Would reason. she be upset? Mm, I think now that I'm 47 years old that she would just put that in the already brimming over pile mm. of like weird crimes I committed. Yeah. From the age of 10 to 40. <laughs> She would go, that's Since you not cleaned even, up your act. Yeah. That's not even in the top 100 things that you did. Like the pipe bomb thing still like is still a bigger deal. Yeah. So I got this packet back and I felt that it was a, it was significant. This was a significant document. Uh, <laughs> like a, like this was a portfolio or, yeah. or at least, at least a folio. And so I wasn't, I was very nervous that someone was going to come upon this. I couldn't imagine who it would be. Some, um, some forensic scientist was going to, was going to look at my grades and say, "Mm, that B plus in geometry is kind of an outlier. 
given that he has a D minus cumulative average throughout high school, how did he get a B plus? I mean, the only the only classes he ever got an, an A in were newspaper and uh, maybe one history class, mostly newspaper. Everything else I got a D in. How did I get this B plus in geometry? So I was worried some forensic scientist would come. But I also couldn't destroy this, this document. So I took all of the papers, all of the graded papers, mm-hmm. and the answer key book. I wrapped them, and then I put them inside of a seal meal. What? Which was, which was a device that we had. Though the thing that you would, it was like sucks the air out of a bag around the sandwich or whatever. Yeah. Put your, put your. <laughs> Why put your, would you put it in that? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, seal meal was a little device, right? That you would, you'd put your food in it. Yeah. This was, this was pre suck the air out. This was, you put the stuff in there, you push down on it to push as much air out as you can. Uh-huh. And then what made it a seal meal was it was basically a little hot, um, like a crimping iron. Oh, yeah. And you'd stick the bag in there and it would crimp down on it and seal it, like airtight. <laughs> so I sealed all of this homework in this, what, what was now a bag about the size of a phone book. And I took it out in the garden and I dug a hole three and a half feet down in my mom's sort of freshly tilled spring garden, <laughs> sort of toward the back of it, and I buried it. Because I couldn't destroy it, and I couldn't let it sit around for someone to find. Because I felt like having the instruction book with the papers was key. They had to be together so that that forensic scientist would be able to put the clues together if, if needed. You know, like I knew that because the thing is I graduated from high school uh, already like under the line of the necessary credits. Like they, they, the administration at my high school worked out a, some kind of Sophie's choice deal with themselves and gave me credit for classes that I had failed in order that I go away. But if this geometry class was also revealed to have been a fraud, I don't know. They couldn't have graduated me. Like they already were, were, were pushed up against a wall. But I, but I, but I didn't feel comfortable destroying the evidence, you know, like that felt like another crime, an additional crime. So I buried it in the yard. Well, fast forward to my 30th high school reunion a couple of weeks ago. Yes. And oh, my mine, God, no. A friend of mine named Kurt Hansmeyer, who, whose parents lived down the street from my parents. We lived at the corner of Princeton and Stanford in Anchorage. We were on the lakeside on the, what would it be, the southeast corner of Princeton and Stanford. Kurt Hansmeyer lived at the very end of Princeton and his parents still live there to this day, 30 years after I graduated. Kurt Hansmeyer was out for a walk with his mom, bumped into the people who lived in, live in that house now. 
1800 Stanford. They got to talking. Kurt said, oh yeah, a good friend of mine in high school lived there. They said, we were just tilling the back garden not very long ago no and way. found a bag of all of his homework buried in the garden. And we were, you know, we recognized the name, John Rock. <laughs> and I was like, the crime is revealed. If they take that evidence to Anchorage School District, perhaps my high school diploma will be revealed. <laughs> But I also was thrilled that the time capsule had survived. Yeah. And so I said to Kurt Hansmeyer, hey, I need to get that bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as we stand, the, the communication is still open, right? He has not talked to them. He has not gotten oh, I thought you were going to tell me you'd, you brought it back to Seattle with you. No, he hasn't gotten back to me about it, and I'm still sort of, you know, pushing. The thing is, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, because if it's like, I got to get that back, then the question is, why? Why is it so important? Um, so, actually, I'm going to text him right now. Yeah, seriously, you've got to. And, uh, and then... I mean, because I want to see, because I think I actually drew doodles in the margins of the homework in order to make it look like I'd been sitting there mm. um, really thinking about the yeah, problem. Yeah. Because, you know, my homework always had doodles on it. And I would sit and, and make little marks on it like I'd been tapping my pencil on the corner of it while I was thinking hard about how <laughs> so to... Much. How to find the area under so much work into this forgery? Yep, yep. My God, I mean, well, okay. I, I just have a question for you, though. Why put the answer key in with the homework? That's the giveaway. That's you know what I'm saying. Like, why not hide that in a separate, like in in a hole in a tree or something? In my experience, the missing. 18 minutes of the, of the white house tapes of Nixon's tapes. Yeah. Where, Oh, we don't know what happened. A certain big segment of the tapes just were blank or got accidentally deleted. Right. Or all of the missing emails from the, the Bush Cheney Rumsfeld era. You know, there's like, hundreds of thousands of missing emails unaccounted for uh, around the Gulf War. That stuff infuriates me because like the momentary, the expediency of protecting your ass yeah. robs the historical record. And right now, if we found James Monroe's emails and there were emails in there implicating him in some terrible business in the let's let's say in the assassination of the president of a foreign government in the assassination of a foreign diplomat let's say that there are emails in james monroe's files that that implicate him in some dastardly business the importance of that to the historical record is far greater than the damage it inflicts on his reputation. 
And so whatever happened during the Nixon administration, whatever has been redacted throughout history is the, is the greater crime, I think, than, the, than whatever they were trying to conceal. Because history, uh, you know, exonerates you because you're dead and, and, and time marches on. But what we, what we, we, we can never get back what, what's been lost. And so for me to, to not, you know, and this is of course my freshman year mindset and I wasn't thinking very, I wasn't thinking all this through at the time, but I understand the impulse that I had, which is that, that this is a, this was comparatively a great crime against the school, against the trust of my parents and the institution and as little respect as I had for the institution and as much as I felt like I was, you know, that this was not a crime against my education, right? I never once felt like failing to learn this geometry was a crime against myself, but it, but the, but the, but it was a crime against my integrity because mm. I, because it was all of this, it was an enormous lie and I took no delight in the lie. I took a little bit of delight in it because the, because my, my, the work I did to make that homework artful mm -hmm. looking mm -hmm. was, yeah, it was like I was, it, I was not, I was not forging a Vermeer, but I was, <laughs> I was doing a, a bit of like over clever forgery. So I took some delight in that, but you know, but I was covered in shame about the whole affair. Uh, and unclear why. Maybe, maybe <laughs> my whole life, I, adult life, I've been addicted to shame is part of the thing. Yeah. But I didn't want to redact the truth from, from the record. Mm -hmm. And I think if I had not buried it in the garden, I may have, you know, like it, the crime may have dimmed in my own memory. Like burying it in the garden was to put a pee under the mattress of my own mind. Wow. To remind me that I had done this thing and remind me that there was a record somewhere like implicating me so that the crime remains clear in my mind. I think about it. I, uh, it's a metaphor that I, that I return to because I mean, duplicity is a component in the way I navigate the world. I do not reveal the, my whole self to the world, and I, I keep my own counsel, and I respect institutions up to a point. I consider myself a man apart. And this incident and its implications, you know, continues to resonate. And I think all of my, all of my, duplicitousness through time I keep records of uh, for that reason to 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 let history have access to the truth 